Good to have you with us this morning. Um, I was just saying before we got started this morning uh, during our huddle that we are almost finished with a month of January. You guys believe that? January of 2021 is almost over. Uh, I'm so excited for February, not for any other reason, just that it's February. Um, But it's good to be with you today. I can't believe um, how fast everything has been going. Um, Yeah, we actually are finishing up our 21 days of prayer and fasting today. How many of you remember that? Today is the last. Some of you are like, yay, (laughs) right? It's been an interesting 21 days. Um, I wanted to take a couple of moments before we get started today in our series and our message and just share a little bit from my heart with you um, about some things that I believe uh, that we need to hear and we need to talk about, some things that God's been stirring with me over the last 21 days uh, and even well before that into um, most of last year. So for many of you, you know that today is the end of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And every year, I use this time to reflect on what God is doing in me um, and our church and our community. And uh, I also look ahead to understand what I believe he's getting ready to do in our church, in our community, and in me as well. Uh, Some years, it's been really easy for me to see what lies ahead. Other years, it's been really difficult to do that. Um, This year, I can honestly say uh, has been the most difficult year I have ever participated in our 21 days of fasting. Um, that's been my experience, and I want to explain why. Um, for me, it's been harder to fast this year. Uh, for me, it's been harder to focus. And once I'm focused, it's harder for me to stay focused. Um, I usually find myself wanting to look forward every year to see what is to come. But instead, during this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I've continued to find myself looking back over a year Um, that none of us, I believe, will soon forget. Um, 2020, right? 2020. Who would ever forget 2020 in this year, in this this country? Um, 2020 was a very significant year for many of us, and it was a pretty popular theme throughout the year um, for ministries and businesses and leaders to talk about seeing with 2020 vision. I heard it many times. Sometimes it was said in different ways, but the concept was always still the same. It was the year of seeing more clearly. It was the year of refining. It was the year of clarity. It was the year of focus. And we just had no idea what actually that really meant until we walked into it. You see, what began as news from the other side of the world quickly made its way through Asia and Europe. And on January 22nd, 2020, that's when the first laboratory-confirmed case of COVID was reported to the CDC in the United States. As we all remember, that event began a year that none of us are going to forget. In fact, 2020 has solidified its place in history as a year that we began to see things more clearly than we have ever seen before. What have you seen more clearly as a result of 2020? What have I seen more clearly as a result of 2020? Well, I'm going to share that for a few moments, uh, not just as a person, but as a pastor. And I think it's important for us to talk about it just for a few moments. So what did we see more clearly in 2020? Well, we clearly saw the spread of a virus that infected 25 million people in our country and has killed over 400,000. We've clearly seen financial markets in turmoil, posting unprecedented gains and unprecedented losses. We've clearly seen economic hardship due to businesses closing or laying off workers. And in the name of health and in the name of safety, we've seen the elderly in retirement and nursing home facilities separated from their loved ones, having to resort to video chats or window visits. 
Some were forced to leave their loved ones alone in hospital rooms, and others had to endure the pain of holding a funeral service where almost no one attended. We've clearly seen a lot of pain in 2020. We've also seen a lot of fear. We've seen people become fearful of gathering, first in large settings, then smaller groups, and then for some, letting fear result in complete isolation. And if I could boil it down, I believe we've clearly seen a season where fear has gripped the hearts of some people in our country so much that they've chosen to abandon reason and they've chosen to abandon logic in an effort to preserve life, not realizing that by doing so, they have forgotten how to live. As a result, we've seen the love of many in this country grow cold. As the love has grown cold for people, we've seen a rise in violence. We've seen a rise in racial tensions in our country. We've seen a rise in intolerance, lawlessness, and hate, both in person and in the news. And I'll also add, especially online. We've seen division. Division in marriages, division in families, division in friends, division in communities. And we've seen this both outside and within the walls of the church. Now, you may be sitting here this morning saying, why are you talking about that? Why are we talking about that this morning? And I'll tell you why. Because what's happening outside the walls of the church is happening inside the walls of our church. And I don't just mean bridge. I mean the Christian church the church of Jesus Christ. And it's something we need to talk about. What we have seen are people that have left our church because I haven't said enough to speak in support of a political party or a candidate. We've seen others leave because I haven't said enough to speak out against a political party or a candidate. Some people have severed friendships or completely disconnected from our church because to them, a vote for the Republican platform can only be seen as a vote in favor of racism, homophobia, or hate. Others have severed relationships or completely disconnected from our church because to them, a vote for the Democratic platform can only be seen as a vote in favor of abortion, immorality, and embracing government tyranny. Then there's the never-ending tension that we endure around wearing masks. And how many of you are sick and tired of talking about masks? That's a good amen. (laughs) You see, some believe wearing masks should be required, or people really don't love people. Other people believe wearing masks should be ignored, or else people don't really trust God. Some won't come to church because we don't require masks for the entire service. Some won't come to church because we only require masks for a portion of the service. And some won't come to church because we require masks, regardless of when or how long. And then some have just given up on church. There was a research study this year that the Barna Institute did. And they revealed that since the beginning of this pandemic, 32% of practicing Christians say they have dropped out of church by no longer attending services either in person or online. For them, it's not about safety because you may see some of these people in the supermarket, in the malls, or in the home centers, and I know this because I have. You just won't see them as part of a church anymore. 32%. 32%. That is an alarming statistic, and here's why. Because we're losing sight 
of what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. Hear me on this. We are losing sight of what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. What is the church of Jesus Christ all about? Some people think it's all about race. Everything right now is about race. Listen, I would never marginalize the struggles any of our brothers and sisters in Christ deal with and have had to face as a result of the racial divide in our country. It is a very real divide, and it requires our commitment to walk alongside them and to work towards solutions. We can't ignore this, but, to make, but make no mistake, the church of Jesus Christ is not first about racial equality. For others, everything has become about our constitutional freedoms. Let me be clear. I believe, I always have, and I always will, believe that we live in the greatest country our world has ever known. We've been founded on principles that claimed all men are created equal and are each endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But this is a freedom that we enjoy, and it is a freedom worth defending because of the great cost paid to secure it. But make no mistake, the church of Jesus Christ is not first about our constitutional freedoms. For others, everything has become about themselves. Their preferences, their comforts, their security, their opinions, their passion, or their own well-being. Of course, I don't believe we should be negligent in any of those things in caring for our needs, but make no mistake, the church of Jesus Christ is not and never will be first about ourselves. What is the church of Jesus Christ about? The church of Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus Christ, about knowing Jesus Christ, about making him known to the world. And I'm sharing this because over this year, in the midst of all the pain we've wrestled with, Yes, there is a bright side to this. There is a bright side to this, that God has given us great opportunity to see ourselves more clearly and how we see the need to be more like him and not like ourselves. Some have said the struggles of this last year have made people into what they are today. If it weren't for the struggles of this year, you wouldn't see people react the way they are. They've been changed as a result of this year. And in some way, I disagreed. Because I think the challenges we've endured have simply allowed what's already inside of us to come to the surface. 2020 didn't make us fearful. It just revealed the fear that was in us. 2020 didn't make us arrogant. It just revealed the arrogance that was already in us. 2020 didn't make us complacent towards the things of God. It just gave us an excuse to do it. This is the truth. This is who we are, and this is why I believe one of the greatest opportunities in front of the church today is to see how God has opened our eyes to something greater than ourselves and to show us that it's not about you and I looking more like ourselves, but it's about an opportunity to look more like Jesus. For the church of Jesus Christ and all Christians, listen, the most important thing we can do in our lives is to immerse ourselves in the word of God. So it transforms our hearts by renewing our minds. And nothing else can do that in this world. Nothing else can sustain us in our broken world. When I talk to people about how they experience God or encounter God, sometimes I hear what sounds more like a progressive Christianity 
or a new age form of Christianity where God is everywhere and I just listen and I just look and I just learn. And listen, if you've been part of our church for any period of time, you know that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and how he dwells in us and he's our counselor and he encourages us. But it can never take the place of knowing God's plan and knowing his word. And people have replaced many times the the passion of knowing the word of God for the pleasure of experiencing him in the world around us. And it's dangerous. If we're not careful, it's dangerous. And this is why we began this series through the book of Romans. This is why I've been challenging you all to be rooted in the word. But our series is called Rooted because it's not about our opinions or the current events of the week. It's about what God says to teach us to live a life that honors him in this world and for eternity. And this is what we're called to do. And if I can be really honest, it's why I'm a pastor. That's why I'm here today. I'm not here to find ways to please everyone or to make everyone get along. And to quote Pastor Rob, I don't care how you feel. (laughs) I love that quote, man. Listen, I'm here to love you by teaching you the word and to showing you the word of God in action. That's my role. That's my place. It's not to endorse a political party or a candidate or to pacify everyone's whim or everyone's opinion. It is to teach the word of God, not just with my words, but to live it with my life and to challenge you and to encourage you to do the same. That's why we're rooted, and that's why the book of Romans is so important for us to walk through during this time and during this season. If we look historically through this book, what you will find is that when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans to the church, he wrote it just a few years before the greatest persecution would ever come to the Christian church. Think about that. He wrote it in a time where crucifixion was a common place, where the Romans would crucify people in the thousands in a government where they were oppressing the people around them in a tyrannical form of government. Paul writes to the church of Rome, not so that they can understand the best way for them to politically navigate this world, but to be reminded that their citizenship is not in the world around them, but their citizenship is the one in heaven. And how are they supposed to live in the midst of trials and difficulties? It doesn't mean that we don't have an opinion about what's happening around us and we're not supposed to be standing up for truth and defending those around us that we're passionate to defend. It means that our hope is not in the things around us. Our hope, as Chuck Colson said, the hope that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws we pass or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That's where our hope is in this country, and that's where our hope is in life. And so here we are in our series, going through the book of Romans, week after week after week. Let's pray that our hearts are rooted this morning in the word of God. Let's pray that we can shut off all of the things around us, all of the noise around us, all of the opinions that continue to wage war against and vie for our attention to instruct us on the truth. And let's get back to the truth that matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us this morning. God, as we walk through your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name that your word would be the thing that transforms us. Your word would be the thing that changes us. Your word would speak to our hearts and that we, 
have an opportunity to respond to it in that moment, would respond in humility, would respond, Lord, in expectation that you are going to do something because your word promises that you do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, and we are going to continue this series this morning. If you were with us two weeks ago, you heard Pastor Rob kick off chapter 6 in the book of Romans. Chapter 6 in the book of Romans began by talking about the problem of sin and how we're supposed to live a changed life. And if you remember, he used an illustration that many of you probably will never forget. And it's this little traffic light. When he talked about, actually it's a big traffic light, it's a real traffic light actually, but he used this traffic light to remind us what it means to live a changed life. And if we want to live a changed life, meaning that we are no longer bound to sin, we need to do three things. And the first thing that he said was he said, remember that you've been changed. Stop, remember that you've been changed, right? And then he said, okay, after you've done that, he said, then go all the way to the bottom, go live a life that's been changed. We need to remember that we've been changed, that we've been transformed, but then after we remember it, we need to do something about it and then live a life. And then the third thing he said was then we have to yield ourselves to God Yield ourselves to God in surrender and submission. That's how we live a changed life. Last week, I took the second half of Romans, and we talked specifically about the freedom that we have from sin. And the Apostle Paul talked about the freedom that we have, and he used this illustration that that some of you may still remember. It still shakes my bones when I think about the weight of this. And I pulled this chain out, and he said, because of God, we are no longer slaves to sin if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, but before Christ, all of us were slaves to sin. And as if we wore this chain in slavery, we were bound to the things of sin, right? This is what he says. And he says, because of Jesus Christ, because of the work of Christ, he's given us the opportunity to free ourselves because of our faith, not because of our works, but to trust in Christ, to be freed from these chains and no longer become a, free to, a slave to sin, but now become a slave to Christ. And if you remember what I said, well, maybe the one most significant thing I said last week is that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't give mankind an option that involves being free to your own devices. We're either a, free to, we're either a slave to sin or we are a slave to righteousness. And by doing that, we recognize when we choose to become a slave to righteousness and to follow Christ, we have been freed from the penalty of sin and we have been freed from the power of sin. Sin does not have a hold on us like it, did, like it does before we follow Jesus Christ. And now that you know you are free, now that I know that I am free and sin has no authority over me, why is being free freeing? Because if you take a step back and think about it, just in the flesh, just in my humanness, if someone says, you are free to serve, that doesn't sound very exciting to me sometimes. What do you mean I'm free to serve? You're free to be my servant. (laughs) I am free to be your servant. That doesn't sound very exciting, doesn't it? Wait a minute, if I'm free, I can do whatever I want, right? People want to hit the lottery because they want to be independently wealthy, because they want to do whatever they want to do, right? They don't realize in the midst of all that they become actually slaves to their money. They don't become actually free. But the point I'm trying to say in all of this is that there is a freedom that comes from being free. And there's a reason why it matters. Freedom to serve God is freeing 
for each one of us. And there's two things I want to show you in Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 this morning. There's two things I want to show you this morning why freedom to serve God is freeing. Beginning in verse 1, it's this. Freedom to serve God is freeing because the rules of God have been replaced by relationship with God. The rules of God have been replaced by relationship with God. Looking at verse 1, look what the Apostle Paul says. He starts talking about the law. And let me just say this before we get started. The law is synonymous with the Old Testament Ten Commandments. Look what he says into verse 7 after we just talked about freedom in chapter 6. Chapter 7, he says, What then? Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, he says, By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Verse 4, he says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. What is he talking about with all of this law and died and alive and bearing fruit? And, and what does marriage have to do with any of this? I'm going to break it down a little bit. When he talks about the law, he talks about the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, if you know anything about the Old Testament, was the situation where the nation of Israel came out of Egypt after 450 years of slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, and he gave them the Ten Commandments. Moses had the tablets, remember? Charlton Heston had him written on there. He came down off the mountain. He showed everybody. Remember this, right? This is what we're talking about. There's a whole generation that has no idea what I'm talking about when I say that, by the way. I'm really dating myself as I continue to use that analogy. But everyone understands the tablets, okay? And he came down with the tablets, and there were Ten Commandments, and they were the laws of God. They were the laws of God that he was instructing his people that were living like slaves for over 400-plus years. And what he was telling them in his law is what matters to him. This is what you need to do to be in right relationship with me. He said, you are my people in Exodus chapter 20. But then he gives them the law. Then he gives them the rules. And he says, these rules are the things that you need to know matter to me. And by getting to know the rules, you also get to know me. And that applies to us in our own homes, right? I remember, and some of you know, um, many years ago, um, when Pastor Nick Acevedo was here at the church for a little while, um, before he went out to Cleveland with his wife to revitalize a church, when Nick was um, 18, 18 years old, 19 years old, he came to live with my wife and I after he graduated high school. And uh, he lived with us through his college years and during the summers, and um, he's become part of our family, you know, um, so much so that he continues to razz me and send me texts about, you know, bald people and, you know, people gaining weight and everything, and, and uh, he just thinks he's hysterical, but I can dish it out as much as he can give it, dish it to me. But we have a good time. But I remember the first night he came to live with us. I sat down in our living room, in our couch, or on our couch, I printed out a little piece of paper, and these were house rules for him to live in our house. And that usually is a really fun experience for anyone to sit down and do. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, we really want you to come live with us. By the way, now that you're here and your stuff is here and your stuff is in the room, here are the rules. Here are the requirements for you to be here. He learned a lot about what mattered to us by looking at what those rules were. 
He understood what we valued because of what the rules were. This is exactly what God was telling his people. The law shows you what matters to me. And if you want to know what's important to God, look at his rules, look at his law. And in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the people of God were bound to that law because following the law and the rules was their pathway to being godly. That was their pathway to being godly. They had to follow the rules and do the right things so that they would be approved by God. And Paul uses this analogy and says, this is why freedom is so important, you guys. Because just like in a marriage where a spouse is bound to a spouse, once one of the partners dies, the obligation of the marriage is ended. Once the other partner dies, the obligation is ended. And that person who's still living has the freedom to go and marry another without committing any sin against their prior spouse. And Paul uses this analogy to say, just like that illustration, when Jesus came onto the scene and died on that cross, he killed our obligation to the law. Now that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to follow the law. What he's saying, because Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to what? Fulfill the law. So now we don't follow the law out of direct obligation. Now we can walk in the law because of the the opportunity that Jesus gave us to know him and to know the Father. This is the beauty of what he's saying. The freedom that he's given us has replaced the rules of doing the right thing with the relationship of knowing Christ and knowing God the Father. Isn't that cool? That's what he's telling you, and that's what he's telling us. People need to hear this, because so often Christianity is still related to rules. I don't want to go to church. i got to do this. i got to do that. I don't want to become a Christian. It means I have to let go of this, and I have to let go of that. And if I don't do that, I'm wrong. Well, that might be true. If you don't do it, you're sinning. But Christianity has never been about what we do for our salvation. It's about what Jesus has done for us, right? So this is what it comes down to and why it's so freeing. Because if you were a person before Jesus Christ walked this earth, before he gave his life on that cross, if you were part of the nation of Israel, your pathway to God's presence was making sure you followed the law, crossed every T, dot every I. That's what your responsibility was. And when you made a mistake, you had to repent of it. Animals had to be slaughtered for it. Lambs had to be killed and their blood had to be shed. Why? Because the shedding of blood was demonstrative of the offense that we had against God. And there needed to be a sacrifice for our offenses. So all of these laws, though important, are taken away. And this is why this is so important. Because Paul is saying here, In verse 5, he said, When we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. What is he talking about? He's saying laws and rules do, do two things. The first thing that it really does for us is that it provokes the sinful passions in us. What do I mean by that? I mean, it is not a difficult thing for us to want to reject a law once we know that it exists. You hear what I'm saying? When people say, don't do this, I want to do it. When people say, do this, I say, 
I don't want to do that. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Right? We understand this. This is the world that we live in, right? And I've used some examples, you know, I don't know why there's this whole theme of like, you know, traffic world over the last couple of weeks for our, for our, um, our illustrations, but I thought this would be a really great example to illustrate what I'm talking about. What do you think of when you see this sign? Someone says, well, I'm not supposed to go where it tells me to go. That's not what you think, be honest. What you think is, I want to go there. Don't enter. Oh, yeah, watch me. Watch me enter. Here's the line. Don't cross it. Really? How close can you get to the line? So the question that we start to ask ourselves is, how close can we get to the line without ever crossing it? You know, when my sister and I were younger, we would sit in the back of the car and I would drive her crazy. Some of you heard a couple weeks ago, she just had fun like punching me all the time when I was younger. Okay, and that's true. You know, I got older, we changed roles, and now, you know, she doesn't do that. But when we were younger, we would sit in the back of the car, and I would always needle her. And my wife had the same problem with her brother. And, and my sister would say, don't touch me. Oh, don't say that to a younger, kid, younger brother. Don't touch me. I would sit in the back of the car, and I'd go, touch, 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 touch. And I'd just barely touch, touch, touch. Stop touching me. I'm not touching you. Touch, 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 touch. And I would do that. It would drive her crazy. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Because when the law is put in front of us, when the hammer is dropped and we know where the line is, the first thing our heart wants to do is violate it many times. Who are you to say that that's where the line is? And that's what Paul is saying in this situation. He's saying, here's what the law has done to you and what the law has done to me. It provokes if you will, it arouses the sinful passions in us to say, you're not supposed to do this. And in your heart, there's something in you that says, I'm going to do it anyway. So he turns a corner and he says, that's how you feel. But now by dying, he said to what was once bound us, We've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What is he saying there? Guys, this is no longer about us following the rules. We will follow God's plan and God's rule, but it's not an obligation for us to do it. We now have through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, an opportunity to serve him And when we serve him, we get to do it. Our opportunity is to serve him. And the overflow of our life is to live for him. Not because we're required to do it, but because we get to do it. You see, before Christ did what he did, there was no opportunity for you and I to have right standing relationship with God. There was no way we could do that on our own. It was impossible for us to do it. The law was set in place to first show us what was in our hearts. And what's in our hearts without Jesus is not very good. And that's why he says freedom is freeing because the rules were replaced by relationship with God. The second thing why freedom to serve God is freeing is because relationship overcomes the shame of disobeying the rules. In the second half of this passage, he says to us, the relationship overcomes the shame of disobeying the rules. Let me read beginning in verse 7. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? 
Certainly not. Think about what he's saying here. Wait, if the law reveals what's, what's in our heart that's bad, does that mean the law is sinful? He says, no, it's not bad. Nevertheless, he said, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. What is Paul saying? He's saying the law was never bad. God didn't create law for us to conclude that it was a bad thing. No, the law and the rules that he gave us define and reveal sin to us. If there is no law, you do not know what the, what the law is supposed to protect us from. How do we know what sin looks like if we don't understand the law? How do you know if you've sinned if there's no law to tell you what you've violated? How do you know you've crossed the line if nothing shows you where the line actually is supposed to be? Getting back to our traffic signs. Do, excuse me. Do not enter says, this place is okay. And this place is not. And where do we want to go in our hearts? Oh, we want to go here and go, look what we did, right? If the sign's not here, we have no understanding of where truth is, where obedience is, and where disobedience is, because there's no marker. Many of you will get in your cars today and leave this place. And you'll drive down the road, and there'll be a big rectangular sign on the side of the road that says speed limit. And you'll say, what's going on? I don't know what that was. And maybe some of you might get pulled over. I've known stories of some people in this church going home from church and getting tickets. I've heard those stories before. Where did you come from? Uh, I, was a, I was at church. <laughs> Didn't know how fast you were going? Uh, should I say yes or should I say No. There was no speed limit posted. Now we have GPS, and the GPS tells you what the speed limit is everywhere, right? And it even turns red when you're in the wrong place, right? Some of these tools, they say green, 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 red, 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 red. And you're like, eh, whatever, keep on going. You know, I can go three miles an hour over the speed limit, and no one's going to push me. No one's going to get me, right? Why? Because in our hearts, we see the line, and we wonder how far over we can cross it before we get caught. And some of you are looking at me going like, man, you're speaking my language right now. But isn't this true? If there were no speed limits, you're not violating the law. There are places in this country you can go where there are no speed limits. There are places in this world you can go where the highways have no speed limits. And you're never going to get pulled over for driving too fast. Do you know why? Because there is no boundary on how fast you can go. Paul tells us in this situation, I would never have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And referring a little bit to what I said earlier when I started this morning about the condition of our country and what we've experienced, not just as a country, but also as a church, there is a movement in our country right now whose desire and calling is to remove absolute law. They're trying to erase the law and to make it a relative thing, not an absolute thing, so that it can blur the line between what is right and what is wrong. People are trying to shift. This movement is shifting across our country to say there is no absolute truth. Truth is whatever you think matters. Truth is whatever we think matters. And who are you to say they're wrong when they just believe differently from you? You hear what I'm saying? 
This is what's happening in our country. This is what's happening in our world around us where people are saying, blur the lines of what truth looks like. Everyone's sign will look different and will be in different places. And who are you to say that that's right or wrong? You know what we're doing? We're going away from a God-centered morality and we're embracing a man-centered morality where the, ma- the master of everything that we know is us, not God. Kind of sounds like the temptation in the garden, doesn't it? Oh, we can't eat of that fruit, Satan, or serpent, because God said if we do that, we'll die. And the serpent says, no, he knows you're not going to die. Lie. He knows when you eat of it, you're going to be just like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. This is the message that this world is telling us. You don't have to follow the principles and the rules of a God. You can follow your own because you can be your own standard of moral truth. And this is where the church really is going to have to dig in and ask ourselves, what do we really believe? There will be people that have affiliated themselves with the Christian church for as long as they can possibly remember. And when this continues to move, and it's going to continue to move in this direction. Come on, you look over the last 30, 40 years. I remember going back just the last couple of weeks as we're digging through stuff in my basement and different songs and CDs that I had, going through looking at the old songs and then listening listening to them through Spotify. The message that I've seen over the years are about moral corruption and just the difficulty in the world. it was nothing 30 or 40 years ago compared to what we deal with today. And it continues to move on this trajectory. I've heard people say things like, well, you know, our Democratic Party is going more liberal and our, our uh, Republican Party is going more conservative. No, they're not. They're both going more liberal. Everything is going further and further and further away from a moral truth outside of ourselves. And that's the honest to God truth. It's moving all in that direction because in man's heart, we want to be our God. We don't want God to be our God. That's the problem of the sinful condition of man. And that's why the cross matters so much. Because Paul says the law was never bad. It just reveals what was already in our hearts. And what's in our hearts is to be our own God, not for God to be our God. In verse 9, he says, Once I was alive and I was apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. And what is he saying here? When I was alive apart from the law, you weren't really alive. He wasn't saying we were really alive apart from the law. He was just saying we thought we were pretty good because we didn't know that there was any alternative. And once the law was given to us, all of a sudden we realized that we weren't as good as we thought we were. You know? I don't know what kind of physical shape I'm really in until I go to my doctor. And they put me on that scale that must have like 15 or 20 extra pounds stuck on it somewhere. I mean, how do they do that? Every time I go there, the scale weighs more in the doctor's office than it does at my house. And I don't understand why that's the case. But regardless, I don't know how healthy I am. I feel pretty healthy. I look pretty healthy. You hear stories of people like that. Years ago, I remember a story. There's this guy. Again, I'm dating myself. But remember like when fitness was really big, like in the 70s and 80s, there was this dude named Jack LaLanne. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Look at you. Some of you are like, Jack who? Jack LaLanne. Jack of the Beanstalk? No, Jack LaLanne. He was like, Jack LaLanne was like fitness guru. This guy, like he was like up until his like older years, he was like ripped and he was cut. Some of you know what I'm talking about? The dude died of a heart attack. True story. You would have looked at him and be like, he was like, masters and like, dead. 
heart attack. Because what's going on on the inside was never revealed by what's happening on the outside. You don't know how healthy you are. I don't know how healthy I am until I actually go to the doctor to have the assessment done. And spiritually, it's the exact same thing. He's saying, once I was alive apart from the law. Why? I thought I was better than I really was. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Oh, in humility, that's when I realized when the standard was set, how far away I was from the standard. Verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to, spring, to bring life actually brought death. And you know, that's not always a bad thing. But what he's really saying in this situation is that the thing that we thought was going to bring us life, oh, this law is going to bring us life, revealed just how far away we were from God without God. And this was the condition you see in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. It's the same pattern you see over and over and over again. That Israel practices the rules that God gives them and they walk in obedience to that, then some begin to doubt, some begin to wander, some begin to go their own path. Sin enters the situation. There are negative consequences to what's happening. They eventually see all the consequence laid bare around them. They come through a prophetic message, are called to repent, and they repent, and they confess of their sins, and God forgives them, and they begin living in relationship with God again, in close relationship, and then the whole cycle happens over and over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm telling you this because there's a beauty in this story. And the beauty in that story is that the whole purpose of that law, remember first I said was to reveal the sinful condition of ourselves. The second part of this law was to reveal to us that we are incapable of following it on our own. That's the beauty of it. You can say, why is that exciting? Why is that something we should be excited about? Because we are unable to follow the law, which means we are unable to be in relationship with God in our own strength and our own ability. And no one, even the smartest, wisest, most powerful person that walks this planet does not have the skill or the aptitude to be able to be in relationship with Christ because of what they bring to the table. And it has everything to do with what Jesus brings to the table. Verse 11, he says, For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. And then in verse 13, he says, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what what was good. It used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. And Paul's saying sin uses the law to condemn us. Sin takes something that God made good to tell us how bad we are, but then God takes that thing and he makes it good because that's the power of God. Sin may use good things for evil purposes, but God uses all things for his purpose. You hear me? This is what's so powerful about the gospel, and that's where Jesus comes in. Because of Jesus, sin has no power Sin has no authority, and I can rest not in my own strength, not in my own abilities, not in my own practices to say I am good enough. God's going to look at me and hold up his resume, my resume and go, look at all the good things that you've done. Enter into your rest. No, he's going to look at me and say, he's not there anymore. <laughs> that cross that used to be behind me? The deal, Pastor Rob. No, I'm just kidding. That cross that I hung on for you, that cross that I laid my life out for you, that's the reason why you can stand before the Father. 
That's the reason why you don't have to walk in fear or condemnation. That's the reason why you have been forgiven. Not because of yourselves, but because of my son. That's the power of the gospel. And that's why freedom is really something we can celebrate. Our worship team is going to come and close in just a moment. And I'd like to read this last scripture for you today and invite you just to reflect with me just for a few moments. The Apostle Paul paints a beautiful picture of what sin looks like as a result of the work of Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, look at this with me. Paul says to the people of Colossae, the Christians, he says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Okay? You were dead. I was dead because of our sin and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. It was still a part of us. Then, he says, God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Verse 14, he canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he says in verse 15, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? This is the message of the Christian church. This is the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm listening to ad nauseum the number of people in this world that continue to say things regarding Christianity. Well, Christians believe this, so you're not supposed to judge. Are you this? And who do you say this? And who do you say that? And a lot of the times people are making opinions or drawing opinions from their misunderstanding of what the gospel really is. Because I really believe in my heart that if people really understood this, though they may not accept it, and for some it may still offend, it would be hard to see the to not see the genuineness in this message. That there is a weight that's lifted from you and from me. There is a grace that's been extended to you and to me. There is a hope that's been afforded to you and to me, and it has nothing to do with what we've done. And it has everything to do with what Christ has done for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. People need to hear this message. The world doesn't need a finger-pointing Christian. I am so sick and tired of everyone telling other people or other people telling other people what is, has to be a certain way and what needs to be this way or what needs to be that way. Can I tell you this truth? We are, we are required to speak in truth as the gospel, as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. We are required to speak truth. We are required to love people. But sometimes I hear people say things like, just love everybody and everything would be okay. The most significant love that ever came to this world in the flesh was Jesus Christ. And they killed him. Don't tell me my love is going to be greater than Jesus Christ and everyone will receive it. That can't happen. We're called to love passionately. We're called to proclaim truth. But we're called to walk in an attitude of grace. Why? Because he died for us. We need to live for him. Our hands should never be clenched when we talk to those around us. Our hands should never be pointed at those around us. Our hands need to be open. Our hands need to be wide. Our hands need to be loving and caring and saying, I love you enough 
to tell you this truth, but I love you more to live it with my life. Anybody can say something to anyone, but it's more about what we do and less about what we say. No one cares what we say if they don't see it lived in our own lives. So may our hearts be open. May our hands of truth and grace be extended to the world around us. Because can I tell you, I can't predict what our future looks like in this world. What I can say is that evil will continue to grow and move. This is what Jesus said in the return of the king. When he comes back, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the return of the son of man. What were the days days of Noah? If you go back to Genesis 6, you can say every inclination of the heart of man was evil, except for one righteous, and his name was Noah. We're moving in this direction. And as the darkness continues to try to overcome and to deceive people and to cause the church to divide against the church, and people have been taking the bait to do this, can I challenge you this morning to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ? to live with a spirit of love and grace and extend hands of love and compassion to other people. Don't avoid speaking truth, but make sure what you speak is demonstrated by how you live. Otherwise, your words mean nothing. Otherwise, my words mean absolutely nothing. Because we have a message everyone needs to hear. And it's the message that Jesus Christ came and sin is defeated and through him and him alone we can overcome. Amen. Would you take a few moments and bow your head? The worship team is going to lead us in this song as we close. And, and I've said in other weeks, I'm going to say again to you this morning, you can stand with us and you can participate. You can stay seated and pray. It doesn't matter what your response is here in this room. What matters is your heart response to God. That Jesus Christ came and brought salvation to you and I. And through his work, we can stand and say, we overcome this morning by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So God, we come before you today and we pray that this freedom that you've afforded us would be lived out, not just in what we say, but in how we do. Thank you, God, for your sacrifice. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of our hearts today. In Jesus' name.